What's happening, running fans? Welcome to the Trackster podcast brought to you by Pillar Performance. For those of you that are new to the show, Pillar is a sports micronutrition company who have developed products that intersect between pharmaceutical intervention and sports supplements for athletes. The easiest way to describe it is hydration and carbohydrate products will take you to the finish line. Pillar's mission is to get athletes to the start line in the best condition over and over again. Now, if you'd like to try Pillar today, head to pillarperformance.shop or if you're listening to us from the USA, head to thefeed.com forward slash pillar and enter our discount code Trackster for 15% off. That's Trackster for 15% off all of your first time purchases. Now, we are back as a dynamic duo, myself, Lloyd, and my glamorous co-host, Alfie. Today's episode is actually a two-part special and we are bringing you up to speed with everything going on in the athletics world right now. We've had to put it across two parts because we have just, we've got so much to fill you in about. There's so much to talk about. There's so much going on in the world of athletics right now. And I cannot wait to get stuck straight into it. Stay for the end of the episode when we will have Chris Parr joining us, who is race director for the upcoming Top Flight Elite Race Series brought to you by Run Through. They have announced a £60,000 prize money pot which can be won across 12 races throughout the series up and down the UK. Alfie, welcome to the show, mate. Welcome to part one. How are we? What are you saying? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. It's good to be back. Uh, it's a little intimidating, actually, being behind uh, the camera. I've, be- I've enjoyed so much just editing your podcast and just listening to what you've got to say. Uh, but yeah, I'm back. So hopefully I can pick this up quite quickly and uh, not make a, a boring listen for everyone else at home. So yeah, I'm feeling good. How are you? I'm good, mate. I'm good. I'm 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 happy to have you back. It's been it's been a lonely old time doing the podcast by myself whilst you've been running around the world competing for Great Britain and just being a superstar athlete. But it's nice to um to have someone else on the other side of the screen that uh, that I can have a bit of a laugh with. And this is obviously going to be the structure moving forward. Yourself and I, we're basically the ant and deck of the running podcast world. So. Listeners, yeah, welcome back to the show. Obviously, if you've been following along for a little while, the normal structure that you expect to listen to in sort of recent months at Trackster is we would have a guest to interview. Uh, We'd run through a load of questions, figure out their story and try and sort of uh, find out what the person behind the athlete was all about. Now, that's not to say that we're not going to do that in the future. We are going to have guest interviews. For example, Chris is joining us today later on the show. But we really want to give this podcast a little bit more personality um basically i'm really boring and i need some support from someone else but in all seriousness jokes aside thank you for joining us and throughout the weeks when we're posting whether it's previews or little clips on the podcast uh we we urge you to dm us we urge you to reach out to us and if there's anything you want to see on the show or you've got a question that we can we can answer on the show please do reach out uh just keep it clean wouldn't you say alfie i would say as well the, the thing with this is it's not going to be a, a, a lack of guests. It's just navigating through seasons and trying to arrange guests and get the content out. Sometimes it's pretty tough. Like So we always want to have this podcast available each week, regardless of the guests we've booked in. So that's why I guess there's going to be more of us. But equally, just hopefully the same amount of guests as well, maybe even more, because when we can get this ball rolling a bit more, you know, it's, it leaves a lot more opportunities to record with uh, some new people. So... It's a good thing, uh, as long as you can put up with us. So I suppose a good place to start, Alfie, is bringing our listeners up to speed with what's been going on with Trackster. So obviously, if we was to look back to September, when me and Matt invested into the company, there's now three of us, 
you obviously the original founder me and matt matt's the uh silent assassin who sits in the background but we've done quite a lot in such a short space of time we've obviously we've had massive uh, brand activations with companies like saw uh where we was able to do the short series around callum elson or the distance project if you follow him on instagram and then we've just recently went out to Valencia for the marathon with Phil Sessman. That was a great that was a great trip and a big moment for us as a company. And today is quite a special moment as well because Pillar Performance are sponsoring the podcast for the next 10 weeks. And that's our first official podcast sponsor. Now, if I was to ask you a year ago, if I could you have imagined that Traxter would have done all those things a year ago? Uh, no, I think I think the first reason I couldn't imagine it was because I'd have just gone to everyone. Yeah, we'll do it for free. I, I love it. Just send me some uh, send me some gear and we'll we'll get it out. And that's not very sustainable. So it would have been some crappy little content with me just filming on my phone with a little GoPro, maybe try to get stuff done. And uh, I mean, unfortunately, I wasn't able. I didn't make it to Valencia. But from editing the Valencia content with Phil Sessman and Coros, that was like the high point for me in terms of. Uh, trackster and ahead of interviewing Elliot Kipchoge so, somehow it just it just felt so great to be such a part of a great piece of con- content that I as a viewer would like to watch as well um so like I started it years ago as a fan of the sport and I think it still remains true that I want to see things that I would want to see from other content providers so the fact that we're able to produce that content uh, is just you know it's great and like you said last year I was probably just lost I hadn't done anything um probably just with me with a little iphone uh with not much storytelling to it so it's just great yeah i mean i'm rambling on about it but it's because i'm actually really pleased with how it's come along and hopefully the viewers can see it as well um and i think a lot of the work's been gone in the background as well so in the next few months i mean it's an olympic year it's gonna be a massive year for for the sport as well as us so hopefully it continues into 2024 and 2025 and so on yeah, I think um, just from sort of like that that question I asked you and listen to your answer, I think in business, it's so easy to focus on always trying to do more, whether it's more work output, earn more revenue, be, be at more events, whatever it may be, and have more coverage. But when you're working at that rate, which we've been working at for the last four months, we, we, we haven't really sort of checked in and thought, do you know what, this is actually really amazing how far we've come in such a short space of time like even signing one brand deal like that's huge for a company that hadn't done that to that level before and you know you sign one brand deal and it's like well that went well let's go and sign another one. Oh, that went well let's go and sign another one. Oh, and then all of a sudden your, your calendar's full of calls with agents and brands and retailers and there's there's money flying everywhere and all of a sudden it's like wow this is this is this is legit like we are we're doing it we are literally doing it um and i think the what the most rewarding thing for me since i joined trackster is when i go on a call with a brand like a mega brand and i don't have to pitch trackster that's sick because that like i'm there and i'm like ready to pitch trackster i'm like yes we're so good at this we can do this we're so passionate about the sport and they're like nah we know what you do We've seen your stuff. We love it. Well, maybe they don't love it. Um, and they're like, you guys are great. And I think that is kudos to what you've built. Um, and hopefully, yeah, in the next however many years, we can we can continue to, to, to catapult it. But 
just alone with what we've got coming up and the and the and the meetings we're having at the moment and the fact that it's an Olympic year, mate, I'm absolutely stoked. I'm buzzing. Tracks are to the moon. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to talk too much about what the ideas we might have coming this season or what's in the pipeline because one, I don't want to give anyone any competitors any ideas, but also I don't want to give too much away without setting it in stone. So I'm a bit sad we can't really talk about it too much on today's podcast, but hopefully quite soon we'll be able to go into some more detail about what we uh, plan to do as a as a company moving forward at least rather than an individual basis which i'm happy to natter on as much as we can about myself uh, and i'm sure you are as well so nah we'll move on so i guess we'll uh next segment that we'll go through alfie we'll, we'll, we'll copy what so many uh podcasts have done before us and we've uh, we did it before actually we did it on one of our old podcasts but let's run through our training weeks for the last uh for the last week because if you're a new listener here you may not know that alfie is a runner and so am i um slightly different runners in terms of uh events and uh and goals alfie i mean i'm going to describe you alfie alfie is a superstar athlete and your athletics is pretty much taken off the last six months and what was the highlight i would say that it was probably competing for great britain at the european cross country uh, championships in brussels so congratulations for that in the senior team i'll add the first international vest for alfie and no doubt the first of many um but i think it'd be quite nice that each week we run through our training weeks we don't I, th- I think we don't delve too much like not delve too much but like dwell on training weeks and make this a 30 minute segment but just check in with how we're getting on keep each other accountable as well i think that's really important um and if you know we're going through a bad patch, we can help each other. But I think also a lot of listeners will be able to resonate with um, a lot of what we'll go through as runners, whether you're a super elite fast runner like Alfie or a dad bod runner like me. What do you reckon? I wouldn't say you're a dad bod runner. I'd still say uh, nah. you, you look pretty. You you look pretty handy when you've got the uh, Aerosmith shorts on and some sunglasses. So you know you, you're still shifting around as well. I'm predicting a very fast marathon time in the near future um yeah i'll kick off my week if you want just just get it get it started and get it through um because i was actually meant to race at the back end of last week but you got a lot of issues where there's flight got cancelled couldn't get to the race so basically i tapered for no reason which is the worst thing a runner could do so uh i knew from the start that this week was going to be a massive week and i also happened to book annual leave on the monday because i was meant to be in a different country so that only meant one thing, and that was a double threshold on Monday, which is Classic. possibly the best the best way to start the week. Um, but because of my issues with travel, I didn't pack any super shoes. So the threshold was actually in, done in mileage shoes, which didn't go as bad as I thought it would. So I, d- I just did 6 by 2 k in the morning off two minutes jog recovery, starting at like 3.12 per kilometers and going down to 3.09 per kilometers, just nice and relaxed, proper threshold, not like this threshold you see tiktokers say where they're actually running flat out um proper threshold and then in the evening came back and did 10 by 1k of threshold again a little bit quicker because it's uh shorter reps and also short recovery 75 seconds on that tuesday 15k in the morning 10k in the evening and strides so just nice and easy easy run both both of the times if anyone doesn't know i live in sheffield so it's never quite fully easy because it's just hilly everywhere but it's kind of something you've got used to over the time of years of years of running up and down steep hills. Wednesday was like a speed day. So I did in the morning, I did 
a 5k warm-up and then I did seven times 10 to 12 second hill repeats flat out with full recovery so sprint up a hill walk down it and then jogged home so it was about 8k in total in the morning then the evening was my first track speed session of the season which was five sets of five 200 meters with 60 seconds rest on the first one 45 seconds rest after the second rep 30 seconds rest and then 15 seconds rest all starting around uh 29s 30s and finishing 28s which for context for me isn't that fast but at the start of the session it was like the first time i'd done speed on the track that season and it felt fast but by and the how end many, of how doing... many reps was it in total 25 and then so yeah, it was like 20 25 twos if you averaged 30 seconds that's that's 25 twos of four minute mile pace at this time of year that's not too bad yeah i when you look at that it makes me feel quite a lot better because when you take each rep individually you're like this feels awful uh yeah. we re- it really like mechanics is one of the quickest things to get so at the start of the session i felt awful by the end i felt great because i just got used to running faster um so it's a great session for people to try. Obviously, I wouldn't suggest doing the decreasing recoveries off the bat. Maybe just something like off a minute or something. Thursday, I had work in the office, so that's I took that as my rest day. So I just did 10K in the evening. Uh, I don't actually take rest days fully. I just like to do like an easy run. Friday, I did a double again. So it was uh, 8K in the morning and 12K at night uh, with strides yep. in again. And then Saturday was a session that I was quite scared of the whole week. And when you just got a session set, if anyone's got coaches and they see the session and it just ruins your whole week because you're so nervous for this one session, what seems really hard. Uh, it was free by a mile off 90 seconds in like 4.27s to 4.33s and then two by two mile at 9.20s to 9.30s and then a three mile rep at 14.32 to 14.58. So... A 10 mile session and it was solo on the road and i was just dreading it and it was like two degrees celsius but i managed to get it done so i hit all the splits uh on the faster end as well for quite a lot of it so definitely probably my best session of the season uh, so yeah, it was that's, just nice that's to, massive that it was nice to get a bit of confidence and honestly like i felt really bad up until this point but i think the speed on wednesday helped my mechanics a lot to feel a bit fresher for the saturday session and then I did gym after that, yeah. so just a full a full gym uh, routine, just full body. I don't do like a push day or a pull day. I just do full body every time I go. And then Sunday was just a 20K easy run because I'm racing this weekend, so I didn't want to go long, Joe, for 25, 30K. So I just kept it at 20K. So yeah. it was, I think, 101 miles for the week, which was somehow quite high. What I didn't expect it to get that high in the middle of the week, and then somehow it just creaked up over the time. So, yeah, good week. Which which race are you doing this weekend? I'm doing the Parliament Hill uh, International Cross Country Race, the World's Qualifier. I think it's the Bucks Qualifier for the Relay. Ah, oh, you're doing that, well. are you? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's like a I guess a spin on the night of 10k PBs for cross country with the tents and stuff. So be interesting. Uh, not sure if it has the same appeal. You're doing in the winter. short course. No, no, the 10k or... course. 10k. Okay, cool. So 101 mile for the week. So, so double threshold days some speedy hills speedy twos and a fat session on saturday best workout of the year which is oh best workout for how long would you say uh since july 
at least. Yeah, that's that's mad. That's that's good for January coming off crosswork. Do you know what I mean? I think like can definitely relate to that feeling of you do, you know, whether it's you do a full speed session on the track, generally from the track because the track just gives you that extra uh, bounce in your stride. But when you do your first workout where you talk, get up to race pace, it feels horrendous. But then I always feel like the next day or the next recovery run or the the next time you run your paces just feel so much easier because it's almost like I've unlocked my legs again. Yeah, it's exactly that. I mean, scientifically, that's the fact as well. But I think also mentally, like just getting in your head that you can run that pace, it just helps drastically. But also mechanics are the quickest thing to gain. So if you do one session at a faster pace, you should in theory be a little bit better at that pace the next time you do it. So uh, it's, it's a good way to quickly get up to speed or pardon the pun, get up to speed. But yeah. It's it's a nice feeling because at some point you're worried that when you're never going to feel good again, which is not what you want leading to a race. So, well, as is as is always when you read through your training weeks, I just kind of sit here and nod like uh, the Churchill nodding dog from the advert from the early two thousands, just like this. Yeah, that's fast. Yeah, that's fast. Wow, bloody hell, that's fast. But I think I'm so used to hearing four. 30, 420, 4, 440, whatever it may be at the time. I'm just like, yeah, it's just another session that Alfie does. But in actual fact, yeah, I'm sure people that are listening to this maybe for the first time here in your training week. I mean, that is incredible. But ultimately, if you want to run those times you want to run and, you know, you are now a Great Britain International. So there's no surprises why you're running that fast, I guess. But to bring you back down to a level to make you feel a little bit more grounded, I'm going to run you through a training week that maybe more people listening could relate to. I don't know. Who knows? But um, I, I'm back in the UK, but I've just come off four weeks traveling. So it was in Thailand for two weeks, Sydney for a week, Melbourne for a week. Um, and if you follow our YouTube channel, or subscribe to our YouTube channel rather, and you see our weekly news, the weekly news the last few times have been a little bit... Um, of a mix mash mix mash in terms of where I've been filming because I've been in Thailand, Australia and in hotel rooms and in cafes and just trying to navigate that, which has been a nightmare. Um, running whilst I was away was actually way better than I expected. Obviously I was on holiday. Um, and I don't know about you, Alfie, you're a little bit younger than me or a lot younger than me. So you probably can get away with it with your missus, but I'm 29 now. And if I said yes to a four week trip around the world and then, was like yeah i'm gonna run 100 mile a week every single week i don't think i would probably have a girlfriend anymore so um i had to kind of compromise a little bit um but for the four weeks i was away i averaged like 40 miles a week which i was really quite proud of for where i'm at at the moment but last week was 40 42 miles 42 and a half miles and i took two rest days because um I flew for 30 hours on the Thursday and I didn't land until like Friday or Saturday. I don't know. I lost a day. And then I also flew from Melbourne to Sydney one day. So I wasn't able to get a run in that day. Anyway, so I ran five days. Um, Monday was five miles easy. I actually don't even remember where these runs were. I don't know what part of the world I was in, but five miles easy at 7.38 per mile. Uh, Tuesday was a day off. Wednesday, I did eight miles. Um, I think I did some of that with, 
with Vic, but that was at 7.54 per mile. I actually remember this run. This was along the coast at Sydney, along Bondi, and there was steps, a lot of steps. It was basically a coastal walk, so it wasn't very great for running. Thursday, I took off. Friday, I ran four miles and strides on the treadmill. Um, I landed that afternoon and then got to the gym. And then Saturday, I did the Surrey League cross-country race for my club, Belgrave Harriers. Obviously not a good idea after travelling for 30 hours, but it was just a run out, really. Like The club just said, can I come? And I didn't really want to turn it down. So I raced that. It didn't go that well, obviously, after um, after all the travel, but got it done. Got a two-mile warm-up, two-mile cool-down, five-mile race. That was, that was a nine-mile day. And then Sunday, I did 16 miles, which was one hour, 58. And I did that 7.23 per mile. I did eight miles no nine miles with some friends at like eight minutes per mile and then the last seven miles at like 655 sevens um so that was 42 miles and we're now and technically that was the last week of training before marathon training starts so r.i.p lloyd do you feel like a changed man uh, in, in your marathon block now um no because like Running 40 miles a week, um, like I can run way more than that. I mean, this week, I'll, this following week, I'm going to run 64 and it's going to progress quite quickly. But so I don't, so I don't really feel like I'm marathon training yet. I think I will when like long run gets up to like 20 miles and then there's like marathon pace sessions and stuff like that. But the marathon I'm doing is Manchester in April and I'm not actually doing. I'm not actually doing the marathon for a performance goal. Like I don't have a time goal right now. Obviously, I've got a rough idea, um, but because I'm starting from such a baseline level of quite low volume and not much consistency, then it'd be stupid to say, "Oh yeah, I want to run two twenty-two or two twenty or whatever." Anything that's like relatable to my short distances. So I think the main goal for now is just log miles, get the long runs in do a workout once a week uh, until I can run like decent mileage and I can run for like two and a half hours quite comfortably. And at that point I'll start adding a little bit of intensity, but, but I'm not, yeah, I'm, I'm not really like, I'm not really, um, I'm not really deep in the marathon to be honest. I'm, only, like, I'm literally doing the marathon for mental reasons more than physical reasons. If I'm honest. I mean, it's a, it's a goal to look at as well. Like so the marathon is such a big, big staple in the running world like it's very tangible in terms of psychological and physical like you've got to do the training to get there but also the accomplishment of doing a marathon in terms of the build-up of discipline and stuff like that it's just a massive thing and like you said if you're doing it for psychological reasons it's it's probably one of the best things you could be doing in, in the entire world like my, my my friend's come back from new zealand and he wants to do a iron man and that's just to keep him in check and just to keep him ticking over for something. No other reason. He doesn't have like a fast time and got in mind. He just wants to do it. One, to keep him fit, but also two, to keep him, I guess, entertained or something to actually have a purpose for in that in that area of the world. So, yeah, I mean, marathon's a great thing to do. And also, I think the, the thing you'll get out of it the most is probably the fitness on the back end of it. And then you mm-hmm. could probably come back and then run something fast on the track in the summer if, if that's what you want to do just from the aerobic fitness you gain from marathon training. Yeah, I was actually going to I was going to get your thoughts on this. So so we've spoken about this a little bit off off 
uh, off the podcast privately. But um, so it's quite a short build up. It's like because I, w- I wasn't sure if I was going to do Manchester or London, but I found out yesterday that I didn't get a place in London. Um, I haven't run the championship half marathon time. Um, just yeah, just didn't have the race. So it was like a ballot entry, didn't get it. So Manchester is the one that I'm entered in. And then I'm doing Valencia in December uh, along with uh, Valencia half two months prior. So it's like this one with a 13 week build up starting at 63 miles. I'll peak and this is six days a week as well. I'm taking a rest day every week. I'm, I'm going um, Connor Mance. But it'll only peak at like 85, 87 miles. And I think that if I can get through this block injury-free, feeling good, enjoying that rest day, then do the marathon, enjoy the marathon. I think that, yeah, I think the idea is that I can have some form of track season where I can run a semi-decent 5K. Um I don't think I'm going to drop down to like 1500s this summer. I think I'll probably can that, but I think it'd be far more achievable to drop down to a few 5Ks and maybe a 3K if there is a 3K. Um, but what, yeah, what are your thoughts in terms of like doing the marathon on April the 14th? And then my thinking is like, I don't know, like Highgate in May is maybe a quick turnaround, but like by June, being able to. Don't know. Step into a track season. I don't know if that's too too early. Well, if you look at it like April fourteenth is the marathon date, so then you're not really going to be running anything properly until at least late April. In terms mm-hmm. of you wanted to recover properly from the marathon, you're not going to lose any fitness in that time, so that's not an issue. It's just how bad your body's going to feel post marathon, um, and also how much I guess not speed, but how much mechanical stuff have you done, like strides, like strength training that can transfer uh, because obviously when you train for such a long distance, the body gets so used to training for that long distance and gets so used to running at that distance. Other things might not come as natural anymore. So you might take some time to just get in the flow of things. Like I said, Highgate in May, you know what? It's 10 K still quite a long way. I reckon you'll be fine doing that. And then after that, if you just basically train like a 1500 meter runner with a sprinkle bit of 5k in you coming off with a marathon fitness, that's probably going to get you the best results for the 5K and the 3K and the 10K. Uh, just quickly trying to ramp up the mechanics and the speed and then take it from there. And then you kind of balance out in the middle of the season or something like that. And then you can kind of ride out the season how you normally would afterwards. But you probably just need to have an injection of speed to get back up to uh, the speed in terms of being able to manage uh, the cadence for track and stuff. Because it's, I think the marathon, it's so... You're basically focusing on not dying. Whereas... The track, you kind of almost forcing yourself to die at the right time with like two hundred yeah. meters to go, four hundred meters to go. So, it's it's a different, it's almost a completely different sport. So, uh, but the fitness, fitness is fitness, and you'll be uh, fine on that front, I think, after eighty mile weeks. Yeah, I'm do, I'm gonna be doing. I think yeah, the the mechanics uh, topic is is great a great point. I'm gonna be doing strides twice a week. Um. Actually, I'm actually going to be doing drills and strides. So I'm going to be doing drills. So I'll be doing like a double run, like four miles. And then afterwards doing drills and then strides. And I'm hoping to do that on a track as well, uh, twice a week. And then I'm just looking at the training program now. Like every now and again, I have, I've got some hills and then there's like some leg speed sessions. So like four mile warm up, 10 times, 20 seconds fast 
a like mild mild pace or mile effort one minute jog recovery and then like a four minute cool down four mile cool down should i say so there's some there's some faster running in there and um i suppose it's just a case of just monitoring it as i go and listening to the body and seeing how we go mate yeah i mean if you look at it like this realistically sif and hassan is probably the best runner ever in terms of range but if she can come from a track straight into a marathon or she goes marathon track season marathon in such a short space of time i think you'll be fine like you know you've, you've probably got similar track pvs to sifan hassan in the 15 so you, you'll be fine oh, good. let's have a look let's have a look what a 1500 meter pb is in fact in actual fact what's hilarious is the fact that you've just you've just um compared me to sifan hassan thinking that we have any physiological similarities she is a different breed mate the reason why she can go from marathons to track and back is because she is born she's cut from a different cloth mate i was born in yeah. luton people from luton don't do that <laughs> her 1500 meter pb oh my god she's just done me she's 351 i'm 352.4 i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to beat her i'm gonna have to race her so what you're saying to me is the two fourteen marathons coming up quite soon. Then uh, yeah. it's, it's it's easy, transferable. Like you've run the same fifteen time pretty much, so you're going to run the same marathon time. It's as simple as that. It's simple logic. In actual fact, if you was to go on TikTok and create a video stating that right now, and then sell a training plan off the back of it, you'd probably make a few quid. And I've just seen I've got a faster eight hundred meter PB than her, and she ran that at Monaco, so that's worth five seconds. So really, I'm in two fourteen marathon shape. Call it two thirteen. Might as yeah. well. Let's go. No anyway. point even training at this point. No, let's not get silly now. Let's not get silly because we'll get called out for being uh, reckless and giving unsolicited advice. But um, so that's our training weeks, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that little segment. Um, and like I say, if you've got any questions about, I don't know why you don't have any questions about my training. But if you've got any questions about Alfie's training or either of us, do please get in touch and uh, we'll chat about it on the next episode. But moving on swiftly, Alfie. So we're going to take a short break from the podcast episode to talk to you about today's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pillar Performance. For those of you that are new to the show, Pillar is a sports micronutrition company who have developed products that intersect between pharmaceutical intervention and sports supplements for athletes. Recently, myself and Alfie and the entire Traxxer team have started taking Pillar Triple Magnesium, and it has been an absolute game changer for our sleep and recovery. This is the same magnesium used by athletes like Charlotte Perdue and Olympian Brett Robinson. Now, normally I take it about half an hour before bed each night. And where Pillar differs from other micronutrition that you may have taken before or seen on the market is the measurable results that I see on my Coros watch. So my REM and my deep sleep has actually increased between 10 and 15%. Now, not only that, if you've got a Coros or you've got a Whoop or you've got a Garmin, for me, it's a Coros, my actual recovery score has increased since taking the triple magnesium. And that is massive whilst I'm training for my upcoming marathon. So if you'd like to get involved with today's sponsor and you'd like to try Pillar today, head to pillarperformance.shop. Or if you listen to our episode in the USA, head to thefeed.com forward slash pillar and enter our discount code Traxter for 15% off. So that's Traxter for 15% off all of your first time purchases with Pillar Performance. But enough of that. We're going to get back into the show. Let's crack straight on. Obviously, I mentioned that you ran for Great Britain at the uh, European Cross Champs in Brussels uh, recently. 
what's coming up for you? You mentioned that you're racing this weekend at the the international cross meet at Parliament Hill, but where are you at with your training? Like, obviously, you're in the cross country season, but what's going on? Give us a give us a flag in the ground where you're at where you're running right now. It, it's a bit of a mess actually because part of me wants to hold <laughs> on to the cross. It's true. Like, it's I, I think of it. I'm going. What am I doing? Like, part of me wants to hold on to the cross country season. And the only issue with that is I've got a race this weekend. Uh, I've just got asked to do a race in Belgium next month. And also the World Cross Country Championships is in March. And I'm not saying I'm going to qualify for that, but I'd like to try and qualify for that. So that means I've got to have a bit of a cross country head on until March. Then also, if I don't qualify for that, there's no other cross country races. So I've also got indoors and road in the back of my mind as well. So it's, I'd prefer to do indoors and road, but if the opportunity presents itself, then of course I'm going to go down the cross country route for the rest of the season. So it's, it's kind of just getting a massive fitness base in where I can quickly transfer that across to the track if I need to, or the road if I need to. So I'm keeping in touch with some speed, but a lot of it is, I said earlier, like fitness is fitness, like to an extent. So yeah, uh, honestly, I couldn't tell you what's set in stone completely uh, for this for the rest of the season up until March. So what champs? Yeah, what champs are? What what? Uh, which indoor champs in terms of globally would you be? Would you, are available this this time around this year? It's it's the World Indoor Championships, but I think the qualification standard for the three thousand meters is seven thirty seven. So I'm not I'm not thinking about that it's more trying to just run faster indoors basically. So last year indoors around 56, so 756. This year I'd like to get under 750. So then it just brings you a step closer to the, you know, to the elite level of the, of the sports. I, I kind of like to progress each season a bit in terms of times, just so that I'm not kind of stuck mm. on something. Um, so that's, that's why I want to endorse. And then obviously Armar, if I can do Armar 5K at the start of February, I definitely will do because it is a, a free way to get a, a 5K PB. It's pretty much guaranteed. So, yeah, yeah, th- that's what I'm trying to do. What What have you got on the calendar? I guess I guess okay. it's harder with your block, isn't it? Because it's so mileage focused yeah. now. Uh, but have you got any races prior to Manchester? Uh, yeah, I've got one. Um, obviously, like. After doing a few weeks of good mileage and getting fitter, it'd be tempting to go and do other events. But I don't really enjoy racing 5K and 10Ks on the road. I, I just, it just doesn't do it for me. Like, never enjoyed it. I've always felt really... I've always found 5K and 10Ks on the road so difficult. Like, a 5K on the road for me is so much harder than a 5K on the track. So I've just kind of turned me off, if I'm honest. But I'm going to do a half marathon on March the 3rd, Cambridge Half. Um... I don't know how many weeks away that is, but if I'm if I'm honest, the shape I'm in right now, I'll probably try and run. Yeah, to be honest, I'll probably try and run, try and break seventy minutes. If I'm honest, I may, maybe like not not by a lot. I'll be on the I'll be I think I'll be in and around like sixty nine high or like seventy one low or something like that. I don't know how training is going to go, but I'd probably predict that. So I'll do that on March the third, and then it's just full speed into Manchester. Uh, no other tune up races. I'm I might enter a twenty miler just to get along, and then we'll see. But I work quite a lot on the weekends now doing um, commentary and MC. So it's um, it's difficult to get races in when uh, you're calling races. I mean, you could technically 
be at the front of the race and commenting at the same time on the race. Maybe you should try and uh, give that a go at one of them. Coming up soon, just take the portable mic with you, connect it up to the, the system and uh, see see what you can do running from the front and see how long you can hang on for while, whilst uh, commentating. There might be a niche there for you. It's a good content opportunity, I think. Yeah, a few people have asked me that before and yeah, it's not transpired. It's it's uh, not got not got around to, to doing that yet. But uh, but no, exciting times, mate. I suppose like in terms of like where you're at, where you're running. Yeah, it's difficult to think where what to focus on. I suppose that that's partly down to where you're now out of the sport and how where you've progressed to. Obviously, the last three or four months have been really good for you, especially well cross country season mainly. Um, but I would. I would say personally that are you going to make the world indoor team for the three k? Is that do you think you can? I'd I'd put it at a likelihood of a less than five percent. So okay, very very low. And what's the likelihood if you, in your own head of making the world cross country team? I don't even know because the selection's so strange. It's but it's, there's a chance. There's a good chance. You know, you yeah, could if you ran a good yeah, trial. Yeah. Yeah. So you said and you said about doing indoors to try and break seven fifty because you like to see that progression. I think that is so classic. That's what we used to when we go through the junior ranks. As you're getting older and stronger and fitter and faster, you're like, okay, I want to get faster each season. Whereas like you're like an elite runner now. You're like at that cusp where you're super fast and seven fifty six and seven forty nine. It's like wow, that's amazing. But if you was able to attain another Great Britain vest at a World Championships going into next season that could I, I don't know i just think that if you went into the outdoor season with a 749 and no great britain vest from world champs or um a 756 and a world cross gb vest i just think that every time you get introduced it's going to be alfie was exposition at world cross country championships for great britain whereas they're not going to go alfie came First at the Lee Valley indoor meet in seven forty nine. <laughs> they might do. I I did have a steeplechase specialist for two years on the commentary after I won the national champs in <laughs> steeplechase, which I didn't I didn't particularly like, but that's that's thankfully gone now. But yeah, honestly, obviously, like we train and race for that, or at least I do. Like it's either a contract or a GB vest. That they're, they're the two yeah epitomes of the sport and. Everything you do should go towards them. Uh, so yeah, it it's it's one of them. I don't particularly like cross country because it's horrible, but at the same time, I remember you telling me this. I remember, yeah. in fact, if I was to scroll back through my messages, I remember the first cross country race that you did of the winter. You put in the best in our group chat. You was like, "Oh, I'm doing a cross country. T- I'm doing a cross country tomorrow. Um, if I'm if I'm shit at it, I won't do another one." <laughs> And then you went on to create to uh, compete for Great Britain, and I was telling people around me, I was like, you know, he hates cross country, right? <laughs> well, do you know what's really funny? So, on the video we filmed the week before Liverpool, when I came down to London, I said, oh, there's Liverpool. I'm just doing Liverpool for the sake of it because there's no, there's might not even point me racing because I'm definitely not going to qualify. I, I, that's literally what I said in uh in the video, and it's funny as well because after when I came. I came ninth on the day, so there was a few under-23s ahead of me. So I think I was uh, obviously up for the chances of being selected. And I said to one of the selectors, like, I'm just really bad in mud, by the way. So hopefully, you know, Liverpool's muddy. So 
just bear in mind that on on the flat or when it's like a dry course, I'll be better. And he went, Brussels is going to be really muddy as well. So I was like, oh, no, ignore oh, what I just fuck. said then. T- turns out it was very muddy. Yeah. Um, really muddy. But yeah, I, I still stand by it. Cross country, it's, it's not a nice sport to do. It's it's a great sport to watch, and I, I think there's a special place in my heart for it. But in terms of racing, it's it's the most pain I'll be in in any race. I think it's I'd pick it over doing like an eight or a, a hard track race any day of the week. Well, clearly fitness is fitness. That's that's the thing we can take from this episode. Um, so you know you clearly were fit going into the Liverpool trial, and even on the mud, you you made the team. So. Yeah, exciting times, mate. I'm excited to see. I'm not. I'm actually not just excited to see what you do over the coming months. I'm really excited for this whole indoor season to kick off. I feel like Christmas is such a dead period, isn't it? You know, globally, there's just nothing going on, and I'm excited for all these European meets to to kick on. And I can't wait to be sitting in my living room or lounge, depending where you live, um, and have some third third world country stream of an indoor meet in Serbia to watch the men's fifteen hundred meter a race. I can't wait. Yeah, a VPN of a country you've never heard of, just to try and get the stream up. And yeah, I, I mean that's just the life of an athletics fan, though, isn't it? Really, it's just scrambling around to try and find so. the try and find the results or footage of a race, um, only to that's it, mate. Then that's have the someone who well can't commentate. Yeah, legit. That's that's a conversation for another for another time. But in terms of uh, the next segment of the podcast, Alfie, this is a. Uh, for our listeners, we, 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 we're, we're experimenting, you know, we don't just want to have a conversation about the, the same old stuff that you used to listen to on podcasts. Um, and ultimately, if it's shit, just let us know and we'll scrap it. But we call this section, what have you seen on social media this week that made you say WTF? Now, if you are the uh, proprietor of any app that includes Instagram, TikTok, um, yeah, we'll stick with those two. Then I'm sure that somewhere along your feed this week in the running world, you've seen something that's made you go, mate, what is that? Alfie, do you want to kick us off? What have you seen this week that's made you say WTF? Oh, so, so much, Lloyd. Um, I, I'd say the one that I wanted to touch on was the the drama over the women's 10K world record and specifically the shoe the shoe talk from quite an established person on Twitter. Like He's uh, Tim Hutchins, so he's a commentator. Uh, commentates a lot in the Diamond League and stuff like that. And he was saying about how he often does it about the shoes, you know, the shoe advancements and where it's going and how it's ridiculous and I think ruins all the credibility and loads of other things. Like really just bashing shoe innovation as a whole for some reason because there's no turning back now. Um, What really annoyed me was the shoe that was worn in the women's 10K world record and I guess the women's 5K world record at the weekend was the t- the Takumi Sen 9. And I'm probably losing a lot of people who mm. don't know everything about every single shoe like I do. But just for context, the Takumi Sen 9 is an Adidas. It's designed as a 5K and 10K racer. But if anyone's worn it, it doesn't have a carbon plate, which first of all gets rid of all the main the main talking points where they go carbon plate shoes are ruining the sport because it doesn't have a carbon plate. It's got some plastic rods in it. And it's probably the closest thing to a traditional road racing flat that we've got now. And if I put that on, I would be more comfortable doing a track race in the old spikes pre super shoes than I would be racing a 10k in the Takumi Sen 9. So to try and link 
super shoe innovation and what we've just saw seen on the roads is ridiculous. And also from someone who's got such a high ranking in the sport and influence with the commentary uh, following and quite a reputable name. And obviously does a lot of commentary, like a really credible commentator over the years when I guess this applies to a lot of people who, who haven't even tried the shoes as well. It just makes me really angry, but also just think like, like you said, W2F, like what are you going on about? Like, why is, why are people who don't know about the subject they're talking about trying to ridicule and criticize the subject as a whole when they didn't even know what was on the feet of the athlete, didn't know about that shoe because they probably never worn it. It's just, just annoys me how everyone thinks they can complain on social media when they've not got any first-hand experience of that thing entirely. And I guess that applies to everything, coaching, just everything as a whole. So that that's that was my uh, gear to grind, anyway. Well, in true devil's advocate fashion, I'm gonna I'm gonna play that role now. For anyone who's not aware, Tim Hutchins is obviously a fantastic commentator. He's been around the block for years on the commentary scene for Eurosport, uh, various other uh, outlets, but. He was also an incredible athlete. Um, he won bronze medal at the 1986 European Champs, a bronze medal at the 1986 Commonwealth Games, and he finished fourth at the 1984 Olympic Games. He also won medals at the World Cross Country Championships. This guy was a legit athlete in his day, like serious competitor. So he knows what it takes to run fast. Now, obviously, he ran in an era where uh, the super shoes that we know today didn't exist. Obviously, there would have been technology advancements throughout his career no doubt but it may well it definitely wouldn't have been as um impactful and as extreme as what we're now seeing now on the topic of the valencia race and the twitter thread and whatnot and what you're referring to alfie i would say that yeah it didn't help tim's argument that the shoes that were worn weren't actually calm played shoes they were more minimalist shoes so that wouldn't have helped his argument and that was probably an oversight where he just wasn't aware to be fair i didn't know until you said but what i will say and i will actually back tim up here and stick up for him what tim's actual beef is his beef is not that people are running really fast times i want to make that clear now if you actually look back at tim's uh comments about fast times it's not that they're running fast times it's not that the number is lower than what it used to be it's the fact that records have no meaning anymore and the clock has no meaning anymore and there's no heritage within the sport. So let's use uh, the women's marathon world record for an example, okay? For years, we knew it as two hours and 15 minutes from Paula Ratcliffe, one of the fastest we've ever seen. And now it's, what, two hours 11 and it's been broken multiple times. Now, Tim is basically arguing that at some point, the people that are in charge, governing bodies or whatever, should at least accept that we are we have gone past technology advancement to the point where those records before, it's like a different sport. So I think ultimately what someone like Tim and many other people, maybe not just from that era, but have the same views as him would want, is that they would want almost an asterisk next to certain performances that basically say this is modern athletics this is the record for modern the modern marathon the previous marathon pre x year was this i think that if that was the case i think that it would be fine now 
don't get me wrong, it's easy to see people of a certain age moaning about people running really fast and thinking, oh, it's because they're running faster than they ran in their day. But technology advancement has been something that we've, we've, we've had throughout the sport and other sports our whole lives. It's going to continue beyond the shoes in 100 years' time. It'll be something else. I'll probably be running on robot-powered springs by then. But I think that context is always important. And I think why Tim gets such a backlash for his views is because when he's commentating... He has to be the middleman. He can't voice those concerns because he's being paid by a, by a TV company. He can't go, oh, so-and-so has won the 5K in a time of whatever, whatever. Well, that's a joke. It's clearly something to do with the shoes. I don't think he'd be in a job much longer. So it's almost like two personalities. But then obviously on Twitter, he does have his own views. And I think that's why sometimes he does get a bit of backlash because people are only saying, well, if you've got if you're saying it on Twitter, why can't you voice it on national television? I think it's a difficult one. I suppose Alfie, I'll ask you the question. Would you keep it as it is? Where, you know, record gets beat, job done. Or would you like to see some form of acknowledgement that we are now literally in a new sport because of the equipment we are using compared to an era prior? It's interesting because I've got a few points on this. I think javelin was a sport where they had to change the weight because people stopped throwing too far. I couldn't tell you what the world record in the javelin was prior to the change of weight. Um, I couldn't tell you what the javelin world record is now, but obviously that's the one that gets shown on TV. So when we talk about world records and records as a whole, the, the asterisk kind of is irrelevant because you still don't know about it unless you're Googling that and trying to find it. But I could, I could find by myself, I could just, it takes a second to go when did super shoes come out? What was the fastest time before super shoes came up? So the, the asterisks in terms of the world record is, is one of them because as well as that, you know, you could say the same in the eighties, uh, with whatever was going on then, you know, there's a lot of doping what happened as well, where you kind of, they're still world records are credible to this day, even though it's pretty obvious what was happening. And then when there was synthetracks, tracks, none of those world records are still counted. So to me, it is part of an innovation of the sport. But I'd also say we've had the first super shoe since 2017 and we've had super shoes properly, like really good super shoes since 2019. And I did a lot of research behind this in the summer to try and see how times have changed year on year. And if you take out COVID year, which was a year where no one really competed, the, the progression in the shorter events isn't actually... This year is kind of blown out of the water, which, again, if they've all had the same shoes they had last year and the year before, why is it suddenly being blown out of the water this year? And everyone's going, oh, it's the shoes. We've had these shoes for a few years now, and that's not happened until this year. And the same with the women's marathon time. 2.11, first of all, super shoes definitely help with the marathon. Like, the, the longer the distance, the more super shoes help. But the 2.11... You know, when British Koskai broke Paul Radcliffe's record in the next percent, we were kind of like, you know, that's expected. Someone's going to do it because of the, the new shoes. But to then, to then run 2.11, to just go, oh, it's the shoes again. That that the, the record that just got broke in that space of time, whilst we've had the same shoes, is bigger than what the difference between the record was when it got broken originally when we first got super shoes. So the times we're running now, there's a bigger difference between them and 
a year ago or two years ago than there was pre and post super shoes. So I think at the shorter distances, the super shoe effect isn't actually as prominent as a lot of people think, especially in the eight and the 15. Like no one's running quicker in the eight than they were pre super shoes. Like super shoes by the looks of it in the eight have slowed people down, especially in the men's side. And then in the 15, until the last year, there wasn't an improvement in times. And then 2023, for whatever reason, all of a sudden there's improvement in times. And you could say, oh, super shoes, you know, whatever. But they've all had them for years now, especially the pros. And then, yes, you can go, they're training more because they're, they're allowed to in super shoes. But to me, that's just the athlete training more because they're allowed to. But, you know, 10 years ago, if there was a breakthrough in nutrition and recovery, you wouldn't say, oh, they're training more now because of nutrition. So that's just put asterisks. So there's a blurred line and I'd be ignorant to say super shoes don't help, especially in the longer races, but I don't think they're as significant as people think in the elite side of the sport on the track races, especially for the East Africans, uh, because there was a study in Africa, um, in Kenya or Ethiopia where it tested the efficiency of these athletes. And a lot of the time the super shoes had a negative effect on the efficiency of those athletes because they're already so efficient. So then you go in the marathon, they still help because of impact reduction it leaves the legs fresher. But in a 1500, a 5k and a 10k on the track, especially, it's not helping. So it's there's no right or wrong answer. And that's I guess that's the hard part. It just upsets me when I see someone... Difficult argument. With such... I guess I've admired for years, say something what seems to be a, from a, a point of not knowing the full story and then making a judgment before you do that. But yeah, like I said, very difficult argument. Yeah, so interesting argument. It, it's one that's not going to be solved today on this podcast, that's for sure, and I don't think it's ever going to be solved. But, you know, I'm going to roll over now to what I saw on social media this week that's made me feel, that's made me say WTF, and it's it's in a similar vein. The women's 10K world record was obviously broken. The 5K split was 14-12. But I'm actually going to focus on the lady that's finished second. Now, her name is Immaculate... Ayango Akoli, or Akoli, from Kenya. She's 23 years old, born in uh, April 2000. She's the African under-20 silver medalist, African under-20 championship silver medalist. And I'm just on her World Athletics profile because I remember seeing a tweet not that long after the race had finished. And I can't find the tweet, but I remember reading it and thinking, I need to fact check that because that is mental. And it's the fact that Immaculate's progression over the 10K since 2019 is as follows. Her best 10K in 2019 was 34 minutes 11. In 2022, which is three years later, she ran 33.50. So that was a 21-second personal best. Now, the first race was done in Eldoret in Kenya, so big altitude. Second one was done in Johannesburg, so a little easier run there. But she ran a 21-second PB, so decent run. A year later, 2023... She ran a massive personal best in France of 30 minutes and one second. So she took three minutes and 49 seconds off in the space of literally 12 months. And then Sunday, not even, what are we? Uh, it's Sunday was two months after that 30.01. She ran 28.57, the second woman ever to run inside 29 minutes for 10K on the road behind the race winner so i think if you scrap the 34 11 from 2019 let's just go from 2022 so in two years she's gone from 33 50 
to 28.57. And I started to think, I started to think like, how can I relate that to like, like female runners that I know that are like 33.50 runners? And you know the runner that I thought of, right? And I actually don't know what her personal best is. I'm going to quickly check because I don't, I, I actually think she's far faster than uh, 33.50. But it was Sarah Astin from, from uh, Belgrave Harriers. Let me just see what her PB is at the 10K. Oh, she's run 33.29 on the track. So yeah, she's faster a little bit. But I was thinking, imagine Sarah, who I've trained with for years, not, I know really well, in two years, ran 28.57. I'm sorry, Sarah, that ain't happening. I just can't, I can't fathom it. I, it, I have no, I'm speechless. WTF, mate. What's that all about? How? I don't want to get in trouble for speaking on a podcast about it. You, you, you know, you, you you have your suspicions, right? Like, and this is and, and back to the Tim topic is how far how far has that needle got to go? How fast have runners got to run before? I mean, obviously, people have been calling stuff out for ages: shoes, technology, short courses, drugs, whatever. But at which point do? anyone in power say oh hang on a second that's too fast like we've had the sub two hour marathon we've had the sub 20 like how fast has someone got to go it's just it's bonkers man yeah there's a problem obviously the elephant in the room is doping or doping suspicions and the the, the main problem is testing out of competition and in competition because if you can just take something out of competition because I, I, I'm not going to try and assume something here, but I, I presume Immaculate's probably never been tested before in her entire life until maybe this weekend. So I understand why that raises people's eyebrows, because would she have had a reason to be in a testing pool? No, especially in a country like Kenya or Ethiopia or Uganda, where the facilities aren't quite there the infrastructure isn't there kenya a lot of people go oh kenya started to have a lot more doping issues the testing's just got better I, I presume she would have never been tested before. And that's not saying, you know, she's guilty. But a lot of people will be like, why, how can that happen? Because it's our job to post about athletics. And I'd never heard of this runner before in my entire life. And then no. the second fastest ever. Imagine if that happened in any other discipline, men or women, on the track, or even on the roads. Like if someone ran the second fastest marathon time ever, you'd already know their name. So, you know, and so it's just so crazy to me that this has happened. I don't think anyone's really processed it to the extent. Um, and it's, I think, yeah, I think that's, um, that's actually a part of the problem at the moment. And referring back to Tim, Tim's beef is that world records don't really mean anything anymore. They just, just whatever. You see so many every year now that, you know, I remember being a kid, man, like growing up watching athletics and like, 
like no one broke a world record. Like that is not mm. happening. Definitely not in the championships. Like championships were never Olympic, were never world records. That's why they have the Olympic record for Christ's sake, so they could like probably make them feel a bit better. Like world records were so rare, and now the sports moved to a point where, well, if they don't run a world record or if they fall off the world record pace, then it's just another race, isn't it? It's just it's just a win. It's just it's so and so wins whatever. It's the fourth fastest, third fastest, whatever. Um, but you know that's where the sport is, I guess. I suppose what we need to do, obviously, our job we do report on the sport. But yeah, I suppose prior to this job at Trackster, like I would probably be a little bit more uh, cutthroat with my opinions and more opinionated. But if I'm honest, since this is a, this is a this is a change since since Trackster and, and working with Trackster is that if I if I go on Twitter or any platform, say Trackster, say Trackster's platform, and start calling out every single person that I'm suspicious of, again, when does it stop? What every single person that's faster than me, like the the negatives outweigh the positives in my position in my job and our position as Trackster. Ultimately, we need to report on the sport. And unfortunately, innocent until proven guilty, right? Yeah, and I think it's such a, a topic that people love to speak about because from some people I hear, oh, everyone's doping, everyone's doping. And other people who yeah. are elites go, I actually don't know anyone who's doped. Like, I, I think it's much less common than you think. And obviously, it's somewhere in the middle, but you can't just assume one narrative because someone else has said it and then believe something else as soon as you hear another person say it because you're never going to actually know the truth. And I, I don't think the truth will ever come out because it's people who do dope aren't obviously going to tell people that they dope. They're always going to lie. So if someone's taking drugs and then says, oh, I don't know anyone who's doping, it's probably what they're going to say. So, but the same breath, I don't know a single athlete who's doping. And would they tell me? Probably not. But, you know, I know some levels people have got to and... I mean, just just at the European Championships, like people, there was very vigorous drug tests in there, like really vigorous drug tests in there, and you know, I, I know I know runners who have ran the Olympic qualifying standard, who are definitely not doping, because I've seen them get woken up at five a.m. by a drug tester. So, and also I know them personally, and I know they've not got the capabilities at home to try and beat the system by you know having some sort of state doping structure where you go oh you're going to get a drug test here so you can change this like no one's really that sophisticated as far as i'm aware in terms of staying ahead of the game so i don't think it's as ridden in the sport as we we think and i just think the issue mm. with why so many people who are faster getting doped is because unfortunately the east african athletes are taken advantage of a lot and a manager would just go, oh, take this and run this race. You'll get some money. That's kind of what happens. And without getting too much into it, if you're living in that country, why wouldn't you take that risk to earn generational wealth? Most people would. So it's one of them where I think there's a lot of unintentional doping as well as intentional doping. But then also I think there's a lot less doping than people realize. If that makes sense. Um, I think that 
I, I, I don't, I don't really. I, I think, I think, I think doping in Kenya and Ethiopia is, is riddled. I genuinely, mm. that's my. Well, no, it is. Like, like there's loads of there's loads of uh, Kenyan athletes getting busted all the time at the moment. So, that's a fact. But what I genuinely do think is that the testing is is not up to scratch in terms of how you can administer um performing performance enhancing drugs so and i think it's been like that for a while if i'm honest i think i think the agents know what they're doing i think that i just think there's which is look it will always be evolving as well for example imagine there's a a new way to hit the tiktok algorithm right all the content creators find out eventually. I feel like agents and doctors and the people that are doping, they know how to avoid getting caught. And the ones that do get caught are either really unlucky or their doctor slash agent didn't do their job correctly or they're just a bit dumb. I feel that... I just feel that they're, they're, they're way off. I just think that, you know, I'm trying... I mean, I'm even thinking of like Lance Armstrong and his blood transfusions. I'm just thinking like, even going back as far as that, they're not silly. Like they know they I feel like they know how to avoid tests. They know how to avoid a positive test out of competition. And competition is obviously a massive a massive issue. But what I will say is that you said you've seen athletes that have got Olympic qualifiers and you know them personally and you know that they're not doping. And one athlete that was not like really harshly um accused, but when he was at his absolute peak in the track season a couple of years ago. He was like, they people were saying, oh, he could be doping. And that was Stuart McSwain. Stuart is one of my busy mates, right? And that year and and following years and years before that, like I spent the whole summer with him, like every day catching up, training with him, running with him, going for lunch, going for coffee. Now, if you know the kid, he ain't doping. <laughs> he ain't doping. It's just like, I know that for a fact, and he's one of the best runners. He's literally on the coattails of Jakob Ingebrigtsen in every single Diamond League and Timothy Chariot running sub 330s. So I then start to think, like, okay, so what advantage are these people getting from, from doping? If, 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 if athletes like Stewie can do it clean, how much are they getting? And then you just get your brain into a, into a, into a warp hole. It's pretty, and it, and it just makes you feel sad at the end of it, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, there's there's some people who you have your suspicions more than others. I think it does go back to the progression or some outlandish, freakish performance. But I do think a lot of people, from a fan's, fan's perspective, think people like anyone that ability, like Stewie, I'll just use the 15, like Stewie, Jakob, all that stuff. And then when one athlete gets banned, they go, well, if that athlete got banned and he wasn't even first, then surely you've got to take drugs to beat him. But if I started taking drugs tomorrow, I'm not going to beat Jakob Ingebrigtsen overnight. So it, it doesn't quite make sense. I'd, I'd never beat Jakob Ingebrigtsen, even if I was doped to the gills on anything. So it, do, it doesn't, it's not, it's not correlated between if they're doping, this person must be doping because how can they compete against each other if one of them is? It's just, it's a blurred line. And I, like you said, I think dopers are always going to be ahead of the curve of testers. And that's mm. something that we're always going to have. So how do you minimise that? And I think having bigger... This is tricky because if someone gets falsely, like passes a test for doping or 
has a test what's tested positive like a trace uh, by accident and that's kind of where it gets a bit more difficult but I think there needs to be a bigger punishment for agents especially like agents and managers who have athletes who dope a lot like there's certain agents I'm not going to say out loud and certain management companies their athletes seem to be getting caught all the time there's clearly something going on there and they're not facing any backlash because they're not their athlete and that needs to change like managers need to face backlash if you know a certain amount of athletes get do- uh, done for doping so there's a lot to be done and I was, I was listening to a podcast of Seb Cohen recently and he obviously wants it to be he wants to clamp down on doping as much as possible so hopefully he can do as much as possible as well but he hasn't got much time left in terms of being at World Athletics so it's one of them where I think it's always going to be a problem and it's just you've almost got to take it with in your stride then get on with it and just hope that the people who do dope get caught eventually. So that's it for part one of our opening series of the Tracks the Podcast in 2024. Big thanks to our sponsor of the show, Pillar Performance. If you'd like to try out Pillar today, head over to pillarperformance.shop or for our US listeners, head to thefeed.com forward slash pillar. My nighttime routine and sleep has been such a crucial part of being able to consistently perform in training towards a marathon, especially when traveling across Australia. Pillar's triple magnesium informed by leading heart rate variability researcher, Dr. Dan Plews, has been an integral to my end of day ritual. What I normally do is I take it around half an hour before bed each night, and that guarantees my body spends as much time in REM and deep sleep as possible. Now, if you'd like to get a little bit of money off Pillar, we are sponsored by them for the next 10 episodes. So enter our code TRAXTER and you can get 15% off all of your first time purchases. That's TRAXTER for 15% off. Now, in part two, we continue our discussion of the current athletics news and we speak to Chris Parr, the series director for the upcoming Top Flight Race Series, kicking off this weekend in Newcastle for the 10K. And to stay up to date with all things Trackster, head over to our Instagram and drop us a follow. Big thank you for joining me and Alfie on the show today, and we will see you in part two for another chat. Cheers.